there are, there are estimates People that try to figure out how many people would, would, be, would be saved, would be considered born again. Um, the highest estimate that I've ever read is 20% of the world's population. I doubt very seriously it's that high. Most people will bring it down. Missiologists will say maybe 10%, 12%, something of that nature. The highest I've ever seen was 20%. Let's suppose that 20% of those 8 billion people are saved. That means that we have 6.4 billion people tonight are on their way to an eternity in hell. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that bother you? Does that bother you at all? Are you concerned about that? Are you moved by that truth? Over six billion of the eight billion people on our planet, if the, if the, if the numbers are correct, they will spend an eternity in hell forever. They'll be there forever. Eternity in hell. One endless night in the dungeon of the damned, never to get out, never to be released. Does that bother you? If tonight we could, if somehow tonight we could reach down and we could, we could open up a portal and somehow for five seconds, for five seconds, we could look into hell. I'm telling you, nobody in this room would ever be the same again. In fact, I'm glad we can't do that. Because I'm, I, I, I fear that if we could do that, every one of us would end up in an insane asylum somewhere. Uh, we couldn't handle it. If we could see them, if we could hear them, if we could smell what hell is like, if we could somehow, if somehow we could, we could just get, 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 get an idea of what it's like. Day after day, night after night, never ever to re be relieved from that pain, from that eternal fire in hell. I mean, it would, it, it would change us forever. Tonight, I want to talk to you about how to develop a heart for the whole world, where we're concerned about the entire planet. I'm going to give you four simple words. All of them were given to us by Jesus. Four simple words that can change your life. Number one is the word look. Number two is the word pray. Number three is the word give. Number four is the word go. All of them given to us by Jesus. Number one, the word look. Look at John chapter four, if you would, please. In John chapter four, a, a very well-known passage of scripture. In John four and verse 35, Jesus said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus said, look. We have to be willing to, to slow down during our busy lives and intentionally take the time to deliberately look. Vision is the beginning place of being used of God. Proverbs 29, 18, the Bible says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Lamentations chapter three and verse 51, mine eyes affecteth my heart. Our ministry in Barnabas 1040 concentrates on that area that we're talking about this week, the 1040 window or the 1040 region. The 1040 window is the rectangular area of Western Africa and the Middle East and Asia, approximately 10 and 40 degrees north latitude on a world map. That area is often called the resistant belt. It includes the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and communists. Only five communist countries left in the world today. Four of them are in the 1040 region. Most of the countries in that 1040 window have less than 2% of their population that profess any kind of Christianity. 2%. Thailand has less than 2%. Some of them have 1%. Some of them have uh, less than a percent that would, that would, that would um, 
consider themselves uh, Christians. Now that area is not only un unevangelized, it's largely unengaged. There are very few people that are going to that area. A few years ago, I was in, I was in a missions conference in Oregon, Portland, Oregon. I just returned from Indonesia. At that time, we were living in, in China, and uh, I'd come back home for this, uh, this missions conference for a friend of mine in Portland. And so I had gotten back from, from I'd gone to, Indone gone to Laos and then to Indonesia, then, then straight to the, to the States. I was there in, in that missions conference. I was sitting on the platform, and there was a man there who was a home missionary, and he was presenting his uh, home missions work. He was going to go to a certain church here in America, and he was going to start a, start a, a church. And by the way, I'm for that. We need more churches in America. We need more, we need more churches in America as well. But I just want to tell you what happened. Now, I've just gotten back from Jakarta, Indonesia, over 10 million people. I probably, I probably still got, got jet lag. I'm sitting over here right over right there. And uh, this man is, young man is talking. Good man. Uh, good guy. He's done, he's gotten, he, went, he went to that particular city and he's done a good job there. But he was telling us about the city. And he said, now this is where I'm going to go. And he, and he named a, a city, which is a, a, um, a, a very well-known uh, tourist area, uh, beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, where, you know, you, you want to go on your anniversary, that type of thing. And so he said, I'm going to go to this city. And then he said, now, he said, I don't know why he said this, but here's what he told us. I, I don't think I would have said it, but here's what he said. He said, now there are already 10 independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, KJV preaching churches in that city. I think if I was trying to raise support, I wouldn't have said anything about those other 10 unless I was asked. <laughs> but uh, he said, there are, now maybe because it's a well-known city and, and, and people, we all knew that there were churches there. But he said, there's a, there are 10 independent, fundamental Bible, and that's what he said. He didn't say 10 churches. He said 10 independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, uh, Baptist, KJV, preaching churches. That's how he worded it. And he said, there are 10 of them there. And he said, wait a minute. Before you ask the question, well, why would we want to support you to go? And there's already 10 churches there. He said, before you ask that, let me tell you this. There are one million people in that city. By the way, America has 10 church, has 10 cities of a million or more. China has like 130 or something. The, the city I lived in was 14 million people, Guangzhou, China. And so he says, uh, he says, now there are 10 uh, churches, independent, fundamental, Bible believing, KJV preaching churches in this city. But he said, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Do the math, do the math. He said, if you were to start right here in, my, in the city I'm going to, and there's an independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV 1611 uh, preaching uh, Baptist church there. And he said, and then you go uh, to the next independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV Baptist church, KJV preaching Baptist church. And he said, then you go to the next independent, and he went through the, all of them. And he said, folks, you're going to pass 100,000 people before you get to the next independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV uh, 1611 preaching Bible preaching church. I was sitting on the platform. I just come from Jakarta. Here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, Lord, two days ago, I was walking through a city of 10 million people. There's not one. All, all you saw, all you saw, and all you see in Jakarta is, is, is Muslims. Five times a day, where, from your hotel, wherever you are, you're going to hear the call, the sirens, the call to prayer, the Muslim prayer. You're going to see women that are covered from head to toe. You're going to see men that, that are wearing their 
uh, religious garments. I'm telling you, if you go down to, if you go to, to, the, to the shops, to the streets, you, they're, they're just everywhere. That's all you see. And there are, there are places in our world today where you could get in your car and you can drive for days and days and days. You're not going to see any church of any kind. You're not going to see a Methodist church. You're not going to see a Calvary chapel. You're not going to see a community church. You're not going to see a, a, a Catholic church. You're going to drive for day after day after day and not see any kind of church at all. All, all, all I could think about was that place. There are places that, that in, our, in our world today, you can drive through Indonesia. You're not going to see an independent fundamental Bible believing KJB 1611 Baptist Church. Now, there are some. There are some. But they're not allowed to have a sign. I was, I was preaching in one that, that, during that, month, that conference. The 40th anniversary of a, of, a, of, a, of a KJV. I mean, a good, good Bible preaching Baptist church. But you're not going to see any of them. There are very few that are there. You're, what you're going to see is you're going to see Muslim mosques. You drive through India. You're going to see Hindu temples. You drive through Thailand, Laos, Burma, Cambodia, Sri Lanka. Buddhist temples. You drive through China. No signs of any religion of any kind. We've got to stop and just, and just, just picture. Can, can you imagine living in that, in that part of the world? Can you put yourself in their shoes? Can you, can you imagine your family being there? What if it was your family and you were living in a village? Your ancestors have always been Buddhist. You've never, they've ne- you've never known anything else at all. You've always been Buddhist. As far back as you can go from your beginning. You've always had this religion. And you've never heard of any other religion. Nobody's going to come to your village. Uh, nobody's going to come, come to, you, to your area. Nobody's going to come and talk to you. Nobody's going to give you a track. You're going to be born. You're going to live your entire life. You're going to die. You're going to go to hell. And nobody's ever coming to, to change anything about that. Let me tell you something about those people. They're just like us. They're just people. They have feelings. They, they love, they hate, they, they have desires, they have dreams, they want, they want a better life for their children. They wanna, they, they, they're just like us. What if it was you? What would you want somebody to do? Would you want somebody to care? Would you want somebody to know about it? We've got to deliberately look at the world that's out there. It's not, that's why it's so important to have these con- type of conferences. Because otherwise we're just going to be, we're going to be wrapped up in our own little life. We're just going through life. We don't see it. We don't, why it's not in front of us. We don't have a reason to see it. Stop and look at it. Lift up your eyes, Jesus said. Look at the world. Look at Matthew chapter 9, if you would please. After Jesus said to look, what did he say to do? In Matthew chapter 9, again, these four simple words that Jesus gave to us. And they're they're nothing that you're not familiar with already, but let's just revisit them. In Matthew chapter 9, we see it again. Jesus is moved with compassion when he looks. In Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says this. Pick it up, if you would, please, at verse, uh, uh, let's go to verse 36. Um, no, let's go to verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He's going from village to village. Verse 36, when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You notice that Jesus saw the multitudes and when he saw them, he was moved. One reason we're not moved is we don't see them. 
We don't see them. We don't look at them. When Jesus saw them, he was moved with compassion. And by the way, before the multitudes were ever moved by Jesus, he was moved by them. He cared about them before they cared about him. He was moved with compassion. Verse 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray you therefore. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll bring forth, send forth labors. Um, the answer to our lack of workers is prayer. Prayer moves the heart and the hand of God. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Prayer. The work, not only for us to pray for workers to go out, but for once the workers get there, you've got to build your ministry on prayer. Amen. God's the one that has to work through it. But wait a minute. So this afternoon, I was, I was thinking about this message and putting some things together. I, I thought about something and I thought, Lord, I mean, I, I've been saved, for, I've been saved since, since I was 20 years old. 53 years. And I've been in ministry for 50 years. I mean, full-time ministry, never, never anything else. I've had other jobs uh, but, but only to, to be able to make them put food on the table while I pastored. I mean, I've pastored churches that couldn't afford to pay me. So I had had side jobs. I've, I've, I've done that. But as far as my my I've been in full time ministry. I mean, there was never a time. It's not like I pastored for for a number of years and, and, and then say, hey, you know, I think I'm gonna take a break for six months. No, no, it's always 50 years. And for 50 years, Lord. I've been praying, God, would you send forth laborers? Would you send forth laborers? And, and Lord, why? Why are we seeing so few laborers? And you know what I thought? I don't know that this was from the Holy Spirit or from God, but here's what popped into my mind. You know, Dwight, maybe because God knows you don't really mean it. Maybe when we're praying prayers, we don't really mean it. It's not, it's just the words. Think about that. We're going to have a prayer meeting. We're going to pray that God would raise up people to go, to, the, to, to go into missions, to go out and to serve, to go to the 1040 region. And so we pray, oh God, would you send somebody there? But we're not willing to go. Maybe we don't really mean it. What if God says, I want you to be the one that answers that prayer? I want you to be the one that goes. You say, I'm too old. I was 65 years old when I went over there. Talk to the hand, buddy. <laughs> Those you younger people are just going to have to say go boomer. You know, I mean, it's just like you don't know what that means. Talk to the hand. It means like, you know, those of us that are mature understand what that means. <laughs> you, hey, I was 65 years old. And I'm only back now, not because of covid. A lot of missionaries had to leave because of covid. I, that's not why I'm back. I'm back now because we ended up taking on so many people for support, we didn't have any more money. I mean, but when I came back from, from, uh, from uh, China and from the 1040 region, I was, we were supporting 63 national pastors. Now we have 120 and we've doubled it since I got back. But now I'm out, out church, to churches presenting the ministry. And so, but maybe we don't really mean it. Dear God, please send forth laborers. Okay, I got you in mind. Well, no, 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 Lord, not me. Not me, Lord. Here am I. Send my sister, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's another thing I thought. Maybe, maybe when I say we don't mean it, um, it's not us that God's asking us to, to let go. It's our kids. 
It's our grandkids. Maybe we don't have more people going out because we're praying the prayer. We know to pray, dear God, please send forth laborers. But Johnny, it's not going to be you now. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to take care of mom and dad. when. Now, sweetheart's not going to be you. You're going to get married and you're going to live right here. And we're going to have my, I'm going to have my grandkids around me. What if God wanted your kids to go? Would you let them go? Your grandkids. I'm telling you, sometimes that's more, much more difficult. It's much harder than going yourself. To let go. Every one of us, God will ask you. Some of us, some people in this church, God's going to say, I want you to go. I want you to go. You're praying that somebody would go. You're the, you're the one. Some of us, God is going to say, I want you to let go. Let go of your kids. Let go of your grandkids. Let them, let them follow me. Give up your dreams of having them stay right here in Oklahoma City with you. Give up your dream of, of being able to. That's going to be hard. But God says, I want you to let them go. They're not yours. They're mine. And number three, God says to all of us, I want you to give so others can go. So as I was thinking about that, praying about that today. It just felt like the Lord said to me, Dwight, maybe it's because you don't really mean it. We don't really mean it. I hope that's not the case. Pray. But it has to be a prayer that we're, we're sincerely praying from the heart and we're willing to let them go. Now, when laborers come forth, where are we to send them? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. All nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. You know the Great Commission. We're to send them to all nations. So I want to give you some stats today, and I'm not sure about these statistics. Um, I've, I've heard so many pastors, so many preachers through the years give statistics, and, and sometimes I just kind of scratch my head and think, I wonder if that's even true. Where'd they get that, you know? And so, um, and, and so, I want to, when, when I give statistics, I like to try to give, give it to you, where, where, tell you where I got them. For one reason, I know you're going to Google it and check up on me anyway. And so I want to be able to have some, uh, some plausible deniability. Here's some statistics. Here's where I got them. I got these from a book called Living Life on Purpose by Claude Hickman. It's a great book. Living Life on Purpose. You might, you might want to read it. Living Life on Purpose, Claude Hickman. He's, he's talking about missions. And by the way, the statistics I've read since then uh, since then, in other areas, line up with this as well. And so here's what Claude Hickman said in his book, Living Life on Purpose. When it comes to missions and where our missionaries are going as, we, as they surrender and as they train, as they go, go out, he said, Iran has one missionary for every three million people. India has one missionary for every two million people. Vietnam has one missionary for every two million people. Mexico has one missionary for every 2,300 people. Peru has one missionary for every 240 people. Brazil has one missionary for every 276 people. Do you see the imbalance? One part of the world, we're sending one for every two or three million. Another part of the world, we're sending one for every two or three hundred. Or every two or three thousand. You see the imbalance there? Look, I'm not, I'm not saying don't go to those places. I'm saying, just saying, is God really calling everybody to go to areas where we already have the gospel? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying he's not calling people. If God calls you to go to Mexico or Peru or whatever, that's where you go. Look, the issue is not, the issue is not being lost. 
Think with me for a minute. If you die and go to hell, you're still in hell. It doesn't matter if you lived in Oklahoma City or if you lived in Cambodia, you're still in hell. But at least in Oklahoma City, somebody's looking for you. Somebody's searching for you. Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's trying to reach out to you. Somebody's trying to get you the gospel. But in Cambodia, you're not going to find very many people trying to get you the gospel. In Bangladesh, I don't know that we have any American missionaries in Bangladesh. I worked I work through a Japanese man, missionary in Bangladesh. I worked through uh, two or three other uh, Bangladeshi people uh, there, missionaries. But, but in Bangladesh, who's looking for you? Who's searching for you? The, 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 op, the problem is not they're going to go to hell. The problem is they're not going to hear before they go to hell. There's only one thing worse than being lost. And that's to be lost and nobody's looking for you. Can you imagine what it would be like? You're lost. You're unsaved. And nobody's looking. Nobody's searching for you. Nobody's coming to your village. Nobody's going nobody's to come to you. Jesus said, I want you to send your people, your missionaries. I want you to, I want you to go into all the nations. Not just a few nations. Amen. We need to begin to pray for our laborers to reach into un, to go into unreached nations. I'm praying daily for the Vietnamese city of Hue. I have a Vietnamese pastor in Da Nang, and he and I have, have um, a great guy, great guy, great guy, in and out of jail for years. But uh, my pastor friend there in Da Nang. We have kind of, last time I was in Vietnam, we just, we talked about the city of Hue. I asked him about Hue, and uh, it's not very far from Da Nang, but I asked him about Hue. The reason I asked him about it is because the city of Hue is, was one of the most, uh, most, most bloody battles of all the Vietnam War. It took place in 1968, 10,000 people, over 10,000 people died in that battle. One of the longest and bloodiest uh, battles of the entire Vietnam War. And I was talking to my friend about the, the city of Hue and uh, what had happened there all those years ago, of course, before he was born. And, uh, and he took me over to the city of Hue. It's a beautiful city now. It's a beautiful, ancient, uh, walled city. There are 491,346 people in the city of Hue. You know how many churches there are in Hue? Zero. None. This is an ancient city. 3,900, I'm sorry, 491,346 people, not one church. And I told Pastor Bick, I said, Pastor Bick, let's you and I, let's begin to pray every day, asking God to send one of our Bible, Bible college students. We have about four Bible institutes that we support there in, in Vietnam. Three of them are, and, and one of them is Vietnamese, and three of them are tribal. And uh, let's begin to pray that one of the, somebody from one of those institutes will go to Hue. And when we find that person that's willing to go there, let's get behind them. Let's support, let's help them to start a church in the city of Hue. We need to be praying. How do we develop a vision for the world? You take the time to look. You care enough to pray. Number three. Look, if you would, please, at Luke chapter 6. Again, all of these passages given to us 
these words given to us by Jesus himself. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. It's a familiar passage. A verse I'm sure that, that most of you know. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said give. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Look, you cannot outgive God, is what he's saying here. If you, Jesus said, if you'll give, I'll give back to you. I'll, I'll give back to you abundantly. Tithing is the beginning point of Christian stewardship. That tithing's where you start. That's not where you stop. That's where you begin. In fact, I think this giving is over and above the tithe he's talking about in Luke 6.38. It's over and above the tithe. Tithing is returning 10% of our income back to God through the local church as an expression of our love and obedience and devotion to Christ. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to make a statement. Tithing has recently, um, it, 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 it's recently come under suspicious by some people. Um, it, it's been practiced by God's people for thousands of years. But recently in America, you know, people have begun, I've begun to hear something. I didn't hear this, what I'm about to say, I didn't hear this when I first started pastoring. Um, in 1974, when I first started pastoring, no, nobody, I, I don't remember anybody ever saying to me when I teach on tithing and preach on tithing, uh, you know, pastor, I don't, that's not for today. That's, uh, that's an Old Testament law. Uh, we live under grace. Nobody, nobody said that. They just said yes or no. <laughs> I'm not going to tithe. You know, I can't afford it, whatever it might be. But, uh, but today, the last 10 years or so when I was pastoring, I began to hear people when I maybe preach on tithing or teach on that, people would come to me. And by the way, I, I'm not doubting if you believe this, that tithing is an Old Testament law. We are under grace today. It is no longer for us today. We have grace giving. We don't use tithing anymore. If you believe that, I don't doubt your sincerity. I mean, you're not my, I don't know if you're sincere, but I don't doubt it. I'm not thinking that you're, you're, you're uh, you know, you're uh, stingy or you just uh, are selfish and you don't want to want to get. I don't believe that. I, I'm not thinking that at all. I'm thinking that this is a doctrine that's gone, gone around or a teaching that's gone around that's just not accurate. It's not accurate. I never used to hear that, but now I hear it. I hear the, hear the well, you know, uh, you know, preacher, we're under grace. I even go to some churches, not very many, but a few. Uh, one, <laughs> one. <laughs> Some churches, that's the exaggeration again thing of the statistics, right? I've been to one church in the last eight years that I've preached at, and it's a good church, good independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV church, good church. But I think the pastor's a little mistaken on it. We've talked about it. But he said to me, Pastor, when you come here, you preach for us. And I've been there. I've, I've preached their missions conference several years in a row. And he says, and, he, and he'll say, now, please don't, please don't, don't hammer our people out tithing. And he said, you know, we believe in grace giving. And so we've talked about it and, and, and I'm fine with it. I, I still talk to him about giving. I just don't use the word tithing. And uh, as far as it being mandatory. But, but let me tell you, I really believe that tithing is for us today. Amen. It's incumbent upon us today. I also believe that if I'm going to say that, then I ought to be able to tell you why I believe it's incumbent upon us today. Why, should, why do you believe tithing is still for us today? Now, I don't, I don't have the time to go through a long, uh, long explanation of it, but let me, just, let me just tell you why I do not believe that tithing is a Jewish law that, uh, that is, was done away with at the cross. Let me give you several things about it. Number one, Abraham tithed 400 years before the law. 
There was no law when Abraham was tithing. You remember that story in Genesis 14 where Abraham uh, comes back from the, from the, uh, the conquest there and the, and the battle and he tithes, he gives 10% of everything to uh, Melchizedek. That's, there's no law. And yet Abraham is tithing. Number two, 400, and I'm sorry, uh, number two, not only did Abraham tithe, but the second reason I believe is for us today is because Abraham taught his descendants to tithe. Now, you remember the lineage it goes Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Well, if you go to Genesis chapter um, 28, Genesis 14, Abraham's tithing. Go to Genesis 28 and now Isaac is tithing. It's not Abraham. I'm sorry, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's Jacob that's tithing. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. Uh, it's a, I'll do a lot of that for long. A lot of Biden, Biden uh, places in here. <laughs> At least I'm probably not going to just walk off the stage, though. <laughs> Where am I supposed to go? Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm really him. But, um, the, 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 um, uh, what are we talking about? Where am I? Anyway, <laughs> really, but seriously, why, why we should tithe? Look, look, 400 years before the law, Abraham's tithing. You go from Genesis 14, Genesis 28, and now Jacob is tithing. Jacob's making a promise to God. God, he says, if you'll, if you'll bless me, I'll give you 10% of everything, right? Now, where's Jacob get that? I don't think he got it from Abraham. I think he got it from his, his dad. Abraham taught his son, Isaac, to, to give, to tithe. And then, and then Isaac taught his kids. So we see this, this tithing thing going down from generation to generation. Now, 430 years later, Moses shows up. There's no Moses at that time. There's no law. So Moses shows up 430 years later, and he incorporates tithing into the law. Leviticus 2730, he said this, All the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Now notice what Moses did not say. He did not say, folks, we're going to make a new rule. We're going to start tithing. And from now on, it's going to be holy unto the Lord. He didn't say that. He said, all the tithe of the land is the Lord's. They're going, they're coming out of bondage. They're going back. They're, they're, making, they're making their way across the, the, uh, the desert there. And they're going to go to the promised land. And Moses gives them one of the laws. Now, we're going we're gonna to keep tithing. We're going to get back to tithing. Like Abraham and like Jacob and like our, our, descendants, our, 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 uh, our ancestors did. And, he, and then he said, it's, here's why. Because the tithe is holy. He didn't say it's going to start being holy from now on. He said it's holy. It always was. Now, we, we go forward from Moses. We go forward a thousand years. The people have stopped tithing. Malachi shows up and he commanded it. Bring those tithes back into the storehouse. Bring those tithes to the storehouse. Notice he did not say give your tithe. He said bring your tithe. I don't give my tithe. I bring my tithe. It's not mine to give. Giving is over and above the tithe. So we fast forward another 400 years. Go to Luke chapter 11, if you would, please. We see that Abraham's tithing. Abraham's teaching his kids to tithe. We see that, that Moses is incorporating that under the law. We see that Malachi commands it a thousand years later when people had stopped doing it. And then we go to Luke chapter 11 and we see that Jesus does not command it, but he commends it. Follow that? 
Jesus didn't command it. Jesus did not say you have to tithe. Look, I don't believe for a second that my relationship with that God's going to love me more because I tithe. God loves me. <laughs> Look, there's so many other things besides tithing that, that, that if, God's, if, if God's attitude was toward me that, hey, I'm going to only love you if you do good, I'm in trouble. I tithe, but there's other things I, I, I missed the boat on. God's, God loves you. He loves you because God is love. And he's always going to love you. And by the way, so is this church. You're not, you're not a second class church, if you're a member of the church, if you don't give, you don't tithe. I'm just trying to tell you that, that it's the right thing to do. It's what God wants us to do. So we go, to, we go to Luke chapter 11. Jesus did not command it, but Jesus commended it. He said, this is a good thing for you to do. Luke chapter 11, notice he's rebuking, rebuking the Pharisees in verse 42. Woe unto you Pharisees. You tithe mint and rue of all manner of herbs. Now, they tithe very specifically, very carefully. They were doing their tithing exactly like they were supposed to do it. I mean, very legalistically. And then he says this, but Jesus said, but look, you missed the most important stuff. You passed over judgment, the righteousness and the love of God. I mean, you're, you're very, here you are as a church member. It's like we're saying, okay, I tithe. Man, I tithe very, every, if I get a dime, a penny of that's going to God. To God. If I get a dollar, 10 cents, I mean, I tithe very, very carefully. Everything that I get, I give 10% to God. But you're just a real jerk. When it comes to your attitude towards people, when it comes to, your, for, to, to, for, to mercy, for mercy, for love. You don't love people. You don't, you just, just, listen to him. I'm doing that. And I'm just a jerk. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, hey, 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 look, you missed the boat here somewhere. Um, I, it's good that you tithe, but there's more important things than tithing. And that is the love of God and mercy and righteousness and judgment. These are much more important than tithing. But it doesn't mean you stop tithing. Right. No, nope. back again to Luke eleven forty two. He said you pass over judgment and love of God. Now, would you underline this? Would you would you would you read this? Let's read this out loud. What is the next next phrase? These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So to say, Jesus didn't teach tithing. Well, maybe Jesus didn't lay it out like Moses did, or. Or something, but but Jesus definitely commended it. Jesus, Jesus definitely said you should tithe. And so, what's it going to take to get the gospel around the world? We need finances. We need money. Now, this is this is so much more than just we need money, though. If somehow we can get, we could grasp this, look, God wants to use you. Now, now listen to this this next statement. God will give to you what he wants to give through you. You get that? This is more important than just, just, just tithing and giving the missions over and over the time. God is going to give to you because he wants to give it through you. So many times in, in my life, God has given me something of a financial, uh, a financial gift of some sort. And I don't need it. And, and, and as a young Christian, a young pastor, I, I started to learn to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? I had a guy in our church, in my first church in Redwood City there. We talked about it at, at the chapel yesterday. 
he came up to me one day and he, and he handed me, he handed me $200. He shook my hand and paid me $200. I knew this kid was poor. And he said, Pastor, God told me to give you this. I said, no. I said, listen, man, God didn't tell you to give, give me this. Take this back. I, I don't need that. You need that. This is for you and your wife. You keep that. You, you, you need it. Your family. I knew, this, I knew these guys were struggling. And he said, Pastor, God, God told me to give you this. His name is Bill. And I said, Bill, Bill, God didn't tell you to give me this. Yeah, honestly, I appreciate it. I love you, man. And, and, but, but Bill, you, you keep this. Gail and I are fine. We're, we're fine. We don't need it. And he said, Pastor, God told me to give you. I said, Bill, God did not give you. I know he's, a, he's an emotional kind of guy. He's very emotional anyway. He'd weep easily, you know, at the altar a lot. I'm just a very good, tender-hearted guy. And I said, Bill, you're just, it's just it, I, I love you, man. And I know you love me, and I, and, but, but I don't need this. And he just wouldn't stop. And I said, okay, Bill, you go home, and you, you take this money, you go home, and you talk, to, you talk to your wife about it, and you pray about it. And Wednesday night, when you come back to church, um, if, if you are convinced, and, and Mary is convinced, Bill and Mary, and, I said, if, and, and Mary's convinced that, that you're supposed to, God told you to do that, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm telling you, I don't need it. He came back Wednesday night in the, in the hand, man. Take this. I said, okay. I put it in my pocket and I prayed and I said, God, I don't know what you want me to do with this. But evidently you, there's something you, somebody needs something. And I just started waiting and watching. Didn't tell anybody I had it. Told, did, I, didn't, I told my wife that was it. And uh, every, several days went by. People came in for counseling, but there was never anything that, was, that I felt like this is what God wants with this money. I'm driving home <clears throat> after work one day, several days into the next week, and, uh, <clears throat> and I'm going, driving along, and as I'm driving along, there's a young couple, there's Bill and Mary, this young couple, another young couple, they were very good friends with Roy and Sue. Both, by the way, both Bill and Mary became, uh, they went in the ministry. Bill started the church in, in, in Redding, California, and Roy started one out in Texas. Roy and Sue O'Quinn. And so Roy O'Quinn, and uh, I'm driving by their house, and, and I saw there was a guy that got in, the, in, 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 the, in, in a car, in Roy's car, and he, and, he, and he drove away from the car. And Sue was standing on the, on the porch there, and she was crying. And so I'm driving along, and I happened to see it, and I said, whoa. I made a U-turn, I came back, and I pulled in, and I said, I said, Sue, what's going on? She said, Pastor, they just, they just, uh, they just uh, took our car, repossessed our car. I said, well, what's going on? She said, we didn't have the money. We didn't have the money for the payment. I said, Sue, how much is the payment? She said, $150. I said, really? I pulled in. They had given me $50 bills. I gave her those three $50 bills. And I gave her, said, here's $150. Call them up and get your car back. I took the other $50 and took my wife out to dinner. God's good. God's good. You can't outgive God, folks. I'm telling you. God will give to you what he wants to give through you. There may be some missionary that desperately needs some financing. Um, they're, they're, I don't know. God will give to you what he wants to give through you. When God gives it to you, don't just, don't just hold on to it. 
You, you've seen the illustration before that, 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 it, that, it, that, it, that it, we're coming to God and we're, we're asking for Him. And then, and then we, we get it. You've seen pastors illustrate this. And then, then we get the money and we put it in our, our pockets. God, give me more. He's going to stop giving. But if we're asking, He's giving, and we're giving somebody else, and we come back, and then he's, we just keep, He just keeps giving. He just keeps giving. He's giving to you and He wants to give through you. If He doesn't give it through you, how's He going to give it? I mean, it's not like God's going to, going to, going to has a credit card and He's going to send it down to, a, to the church or to the mission field or whatever it might be. God, you, you need to give. It's not for God's sake. It's for your sake. You need to give. You need to learn that, you, that God can use you. Then one, one last thing. One last word. Not only does God tell us to, to look, He tells us to pray, He tells us to give, and He tells us to go. Again, Mark 16, 15, Jesus is speaking. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. There are five commands in the New Testament to go. There are none to stay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. All of them say go. Go. Five commands to go. Never do we find where the Bible says stay. I don't want you to go. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go to the mission field, but I'm saying everybody should ask God if he, if, if he wants them to go. You should be willing to go. It's time to stop using not having a special call as an excuse not to obey a specific command. I don't have a special call to go. Well, do you have a specific command? Did God say go? I mean, I, I, when I pastored in, in my church, every, every, every year at missions conference, I'd kneel at the altar and say, God, do you want me to go? I'm willing to go. I told my wife when we got married, babe, we, got, we, got, we, got a, we, got a, we can't get too much in debt. We can't get, get ourselves in a position where we can't obey God. If God ever tells us to go, we need to be willing to go and ready to go. And every year God said, nope, I want you to stay. But in 1990, I took that church and God did wonderful things Church that was dying, 20, 25 years of miracles, man. 25 years of miracles. And, and that was a church where I didn't want to say, God, do you want me to go? It was just too sweet, too good. But in 2015, I said, God, is it time? He said, yeah, it's time. Better pick, pack it up, man. Turn it over to a young guy. Turn it over to somebody else. And you go on over there and try to see what you can do to help. Leaving that church was the most difficult thing I've ever done. But I knew it was time to do it. Maybe God's going to say to you, I want you to go. Not, not you, you, say, you say, I'm too old. Look, I'm too old too. I, I, really, I, I get it. I was preaching in North Carolina. Said something about going. And so I get, a, I get, a, uh, I get a, an email from a from a. The, the, the treasurer of the church. And, and, and it's Tony Shirley, my good friend, that I'm preaching for. I don't want to get on Tony's bad side. He's my friend. So I get an, an email from his treasurer. And the treasurer says, Brother Dwight, he said, 
uh, you're talking about going. He said, do you think, he said, my wife and I, uh, we'd like to give a month or two every year to just go to the mission field and, and see if we could help. Is there anything we could do? Well, man, I'm thinking, yeah, of course there is. But I'm not going to tell you that. I wrote to Tony Shirley. I said, Tony, here's, here's the email I got. Here's what I would suggest if, 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 if it's okay with you. They could go to Communist Lao. I've got a friend there who's got a, who's got a, a school. And uh, they could teach English to Laotian kids and lead them to Christ. Tell them about the gospel. By the way, they've got some of those kids that came out of the school now are pastoring all over the all over that that part of the that, that part of the country of, of Laos and Vientiane and out in in in, uh, in villages. One of the guys is 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 just doing an unbelievable job. He's running two hundred already. I mean, and it, it's just it's incredible what they're doing. And and Tony said, "Yeah, let him go. I think that's a great idea." And so this elderly couple. Went over there for 30 days and just taught English, led people to Christ. They're not going over there forever, but they're just going. They're doing something. What can you do? Maybe something here in Oklahoma City. Where could you volunteer somewhere? What could you do? Talk to your pastor about it. What could you do to help? Everybody can do something. Jesus said to go. So here's the takeaway. What are we going to do about developing a vision for the world? What are we going to do about it? When it comes to going, we go to our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. Ask God to give you opportunities. If you pray that God would give you somebody to talk to, He'll give you somebody. He'll do it. He will do it. He will do it. You'll be surprised. You pray tonight and say, God, would you give me somebody to talk to tomorrow about Jesus? And, and, and you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow somebody's going to come across your path. And you're going to be thinking, whoa, <laughs> that, was, that, that prayer was answered quickly. God's going to give you somebody. He wants us to go. Go to our neighbors, go to our friends. And some of us, he wants to go around the world. What are you going to do about it? Giving, going, looking, praying. So simple. But it's what Jesus told us to do. And if we'll do it, God can use us to make a difference in the world. One last thing. Some of us, maybe somebody in this room needs to ask herself this question. Am I even saved? Do I even know Jesus is my Savior? We lived in either a communist country. My wife and I, for 50 years, we lived in either a communist country for about 48 years. In either a communist country or a Democrat-run state. And in the communist countries, and Democrat-run states, you ask people if they're saved, they'll say, nope, I'm not saved. And then we moved to Florida. Based in Florida, everybody in Florida is saved. <laughs> everybody. I asked, hey, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. When were you saved? You know, my grandmother was a praying woman. My grandma prayed, she prayed all the time. Oh, that's wonderful, so was mine. When, when were you saved? My mama took us to church three times a week. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, went Wednesday night. That's wonderful. When were you saved? And they don't have a clue. So I'm not asking you today if you're a Christian. I'm asking you tonight, are you saved? Have you been born again? Last, last week before I came here, I was, in, I was at a Dunkin' Donuts. It's one of the places that God approves of. 
I have my old, my, I have my old Vietnam hat on. You know, I get a haircut and wear, you know, try to dress up when I come here because I know I've got to. But I want your pastor to like me and I want, you know, I, I want to do right. But in my heart, you, 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 see the old, you see those old guys walking around Oklahoma City, they got hair down in the back the shoulders and they got, they got a Vietnam cap on, you know. <laughs> That's me at heart. <laughs> I love those guys. I love those guys. Sam. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Okay? I'm not going to ponytail, none of that stuff. My wife would leave me. <laughs> but, but I love those guys. Gail and I were waiting for somebody at a meeting. We, 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 somebody showed up, so we went over to Dunkin' Donuts and, and uh, grabbed a latte. We're sitting there having a latte and a donut. I looked across, there, there was a, there's, there's one of those guys. <laughs> He's got his ponytail. He's got his Vietnam hat on. You could tell that he had Agent Orange damage on his, on his face and his back, and, I mean, on, on his, uh, the, right through here. And uh, I got up, I walked over, and I sat down next to him, had my hat on, and I said, when were you in, when were you in Nam? He said, 1968. I said, yeah, me too, 68 and 69. And uh, so we got to talking, what'd you do? And I said, let me ask you a question. Um, are you saved? He said, or no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, are you a Christian? And he said, oh yeah. He said, uh, he said Jesus, 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 I know Jesus. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, let me, when were you saved? And he said, you know, when I, was in, when I was in Vietnam, Jesus saved me time and time again when I should have died. I said, oh. I said, you know, he saved me a lot of times when I should have died too. But, but that wasn't salvation. I got saved when I got back from Vietnam. And I said, when were you saved? And he didn't have a clue. There are people like that, no doubt, all over Oklahoma City. Talk to them. And maybe there's one in this room tonight. Ask yourself whether or not you're saved. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for these dear people, this dear church. And God, the way you've blessed this church, what a church, all through these years. And we thank you for it. I pray now you take these simple thoughts and apply them to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to look. Help us to be concerned. Help us to pray. Help us to give. Help us to go. Uh, may your will be done in our lives. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Pastor to take it over from here.